Good morning, church family. My name is Vicky, and I'm married to Derek, who did the prayer. So, of course, as it goes, we go to the same life group because we are a couple. Um, so that's the Lombardi East life group. The readings from Matthew 5, verse 38 to 48. I'll repeat Matthew 5, verse 38 to 48. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him take your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go on one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's um, calm our hearts and let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Um, We can celebrate your word, um, the word being taught, your word going out, changing our hearts. Um, Today, Lord, we are going to look at uh, Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to ask you to be gracious to us, Lord. Through your spirit, will you um, touch our hearts again, remind us of your great love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, and will you not leave us unchanged, Lord? Take us out of here today. Change us and form us into your likeness. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Good. The last couple of weeks, we have been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew's Gospel. I haven't been preaching. I've been sitting there, and it's been very uncomfortable, I must admit. Um, God's Word is also called the double-edged sword. And what the Lord did is he surgically removed my heart Every week, placed it like in front of me and showed me my sin. And it was quite painful. And, um, but it was good. Uh, it meant that the Lord wasn't finished with me. Uh, the Lord hasn't finished with us. He started this walk with us, uh, this walk as uh, being Christians. And he wants us to take the next step. Basically, that's a joke. You guys don't follow my jokes. Even the 8 o'clock service didn't joke. You see our little form here? It's called Next Steps. That's where it comes from. Our little pamphlet that we, a little bookmark. Um, God wants us to take the next step in following him. What we put out here is just a helpful way to think through what it means to take a next step. But that's basically what the Lord wants. He wants us to grow in our sanctification. He wants us to take that next step in hearing him, submitting to him, loving him, loving one another. So please take one outside. Today's section is no different. Today's section has been actually quite painful for me. Um, God's double-edged sword has opened my heart and it's asked me a simple question. What does my words and my actions show about my love, loving others? Um, The key verse, if you have your Bibles, is verse 48. 
You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the Lord calls us to love perfectly. Not like the world. The world loves those who love them and cares for those who cares for them. But the Lord says not so with you. We need to be different. We need to love perfectly. And it's really hard. It's really uncomfortable because today the Bible asks this very simple question. And it says, how do you love or how do you treat those who deliberately hurt you? Those who are deliberately out there to do evil to you. Those who are deliberately seeking to be your enemy. What does your words and your actions reveal about your heart? Because I think instinctively we all have this right and wrong in our heart. We know what's right and what's wrong. God says he placed it there. But the problem is when that injustice happens to me, it's very uncomfortable. It really is uncomfortable reading this passage when Jesus says you should turn the other cheek. You should love your enemies. So I think it's very important for us today to hear what Jesus is saying. What does he mean when he says love your enemy, when he says do not resist the one who is evil to you? Now, let's start there, right there at the top. We're going to start verse 38. If you have your Bibles, please open your Bibles. Let me read for us verse 38. It starts there. Um, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If you've been here for the Sermon on the Mount, you know Jesus does this way of act, um, this modus operandi, this is the way he works. He quotes our Old Testament law. He says, you have heard that it was said. What he then does is he exposes our hearts or the Israelites' hearts, how they bent it, how they twisted it to make their own, to, to, for their own benefit. Then Jesus brings out the true meaning of that. Law, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And in the process, when he does that, he exposes that sinful heart. And, and, and this is where things really get difficult. Because Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Now that's from the Old Testament. That is the outworking of, the, let's say, for instance, the Ten Commandments, the law of God. And the purpose of God's law if you've been here for a while, when we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the purpose of God's law is to love. The whole idea of the law was to love. Eye for an eye's purpose was to love, to love one another. God puts that boundary down so that we can live inside that boundary, loving one another. It's placed there by God for a specific reason, so we can love one another and care for one another. Now, it's no good having the law and no one to enforce the law. I thought about the World Cup, FIFA World Cup coming. It's, they've got great rules, but if there's no ref or no VAR, that would be useless, isn't it? So the same with God's law. He says, God so he gives us his law, but he also gives us his God-ordained referee, if you want to call it, the one who enforces that law. I'm going to read for us just a little bit from the Old Testament to help us see that. So Deuteronomy chapter 19 Listen carefully, it's just one of those examples of the Old Testament, how it's enforced, um, the law is enforced. So, the judge shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is false, is a false witness, and has caused his brother, accused his brother falsely, then he should do to him as he has meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, 
and the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit such evil amongst you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So, God's law enforced by God's judge. The judge must make diligent inquiries. He must make sure he finds all the evidence. He must ensure that justice is done. The measure he uses, the way he measures justice is God's law. If an eye was taken, an eye should be given. If a life was taken, a life should be given. So the idea there is uh, uh, righteous judgment, righteous punishment. But also, the law should be seen to be done. It mustn't be done in secret. It should be in open. It should be seen for everyone to be done, uh, how it's done, so that those who, the evil can be purged from your midst, and they should never do that again. So, God's idea of loving his people was to give them the law, plus the judge, plus the framework in which it comes, plus that it must be open for all to see so that Israel can be loved and love one another. But that's not what Israel saw. They didn't see God's law being enforced by God's man, open for all to see. No, what ended up happening is that law was taken out of the public realm, out of the judge's hands, into personal, into my hands. They twisted it so that I can take revenge. I can take retribution on someone else. God's law was meant to love. It turned out it became a way of hating, acting out my hate towards the other person. And it ended up that there was no love. And we see this so clearly when it comes to these four examples that Jesus gives. This is where things really get real, guys. I don't know. I found it very very difficult. So, let me read for us there um, in verse uh, 39. So, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, but then in verse 39, he says these words. He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the others also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, don't worry if you're uncomfortable. It gets way worse when we look at each one of them individually. Way, way worse. So, let's do that. We're going to look at each one of them individually. Verse 38. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him, the others also. Now, the idea there is most of the people like today were right-handed, if you want to slap someone on his right cheek with your right hand, it's one of these reverse slaps. <laughs> you see it in the westerns. I watched westerns and I couldn't understand why are they slapping the guy like this. Anyway, the idea of this slap in a Jewish community is, a, is an insult. If a Jew slapped another Jew like this with a, let's call it the reverse slap, it's, I'm disgusted with you. I want nothing to do with you. Jesus says, if someone treats you like that, wants nothing to do with you, turn your face back to him and turn the other cheek. Now, that sounds weird, but it isn't. If you look at the Bible, if you think about what the Bible says when it says, turn your face away or turn your face towards one another, that's relationship language, isn't it? Remember, 
we sing a song, uh, uh, the father turned his face away from Jesus when we think about Jesus on the cross. The relationship between the father and the son was broken. So when you turn your face back to someone, someone who's disgusted with you, someone who doesn't want anything to do with you, the one who's evil, you are inviting him back. You invite him back into relationship. You not take revenge, but you're seeking to restore that relationship. Now, I hope that makes you very uncomfortable. Because I remember as a schoolboy, fights happened. And I remember this one fight. The slap came to me, but before the slap landed, I was returning the slap. It was just so instinctive. I, I blinked and then it happened. Sorry. Yes. But it's so instinctive inside of us to fight back, to fight fire with fire. But Jesus says, no. If someone slaps you, you must seek to restore that relationship again. That's the first one. The next one in verse 40, Jesus says, seek that relationship at great personal cost. Have a look there. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So here's this evil guy. He's not done slapping you. Now he's taking you to court and he wants your tunic. Now your tunic is your, let's call it your underwear. And then he wants that and it's less expensive. Your cloak is the thing that's more expensive. The cloak in the Old Testament was a thing that kept people warm. It's sometimes something that they slept under. Exodus 22 talks about Israel being gracious to one another and never take that cloak from your brother. So when Jesus says, if he wants your tunic, give him your cloak as well, what he's saying is, at great personal cost, will you give to this guy something that might even cost you your life? You might even your cloak that keeps you warm at night. So the point is, how far will you go for the one who's evil? The one who deliberately wants to hurt you? How many times will you forgive him? Seven times, 77 times? Will you give him your cloak when he asks for it? What personal cost, Jesus says, are you willing to pay to restore that relationship? 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, when it's again about this taking to court business, he says, why not rather, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded than go to court? You see the personal cost that Jesus calls us to pay in order to restore that relationship with that one who is evil. So invite him back at personal cost. But now the next one, Jesus says, okay, how far will you walk with him? How long will you try this? Will you go the extra mile for him? Have a look at verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, in the Roman world, they were rulers over their subjects or the Israelites, the Jews, and they could commandeer that Jewish person to do whatever they want, whenever they want. You might be doing your thing, fishing, cooking, baking, whatever you were doing. The Romans can come and say, leave that, leave what you're doing, looking after your family, good things, and carry this stone, and carry it to wherever I want you to take it. So they would force people into let's say, hard labor or, or doing things for them. And Jesus says, when the evil one comes to you and asks you to do that, will you willingly let go what you're doing and follow him, not just one mile, but the extra mile, the second mile? 
Are you willing to pay that personal cost? See, kingdom life that um, we are called to as Christians is a very strange way of walking, very different way of walking from the world, at great personal cost. But I think the last one that Jesus puts his finger on is the worst. He asks us to do it again and again and again and again and again. Have a look there at verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who borrows from you. So here we are, inviting to the relationship. This guy now comes, and let's say he wants your money. This evil guy never intended to pay you back. He probably can't pay you back. But will you refuse him, or will you not refuse him? And when you do it the first time, you can be guaranteed he's going to come back again, and again, and again. So the point Jesus is making here is that when you seek to restore that relationship at great personal cost, It's not going to happen just once. It's going to happen a few times. Are you willing to go every single time? At this application, at this place, when I prepared this sermon, I was was bowled over. I thought, no, my goodness, this sounds like a doormat. This sounds like we are all doormats. God calls us to be doormats. But it isn't. I had two answers to this question. The first one we looked at, and let me... Let me, let, me, let me look at those first questions. Um, the first answer, how can this be that God calls us to do this? Well, the first one we saw that judgment is not in our hands. We saw that with the Old Testament. What Jesus is not saying is that justice goes out the door, that right all of a sudden becomes wrong, that you should just let people walk all over you. Have a look there at chapter 5 or 6. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Now he's saying, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now he says, do not resist the evil. Is he contradicting himself? Jesus is not throwing justice out the window. He's not saying what this guy is doing is right. He actually calls him the evil one, the one who is evil, intent and evil. He's not saying what this guy is doing is right. He says it's wrong. But what he does say is vengeance is mine. And it happens inside my boundaries that I've ordained for it. The real question is, will we submit to that? As for you, Jesus says, do not resist the one who is evil. Seek out that relationship again at great personal cost to yourself. Again and again and again. It's worth stopping here and saying this again. God's law stands, and it's enforced by God's man. And it should be enforced for all to see, because that is how God loves us. But as for you, do not resist the evil one. Have a look at Romans. This is the New Testament. I'll just read it for us. Romans chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authority, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist has been instituted by God. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Verse 4, if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That's Romans 13. 
So the state's job, instituted by God, is to let justice done and let justice be seen to be done. If they don't hold, if they don't do that, our job is to hold them accountable. And I think the way we do that is by voting. But the state's job is that. Our job, on the other hand, is in this personal relationship to love. To love the one who is evil. To you. Now, I think that's a real challenge. It's a real challenge for me. And I think the challenge comes because we are both part of the public domain and we're also part of the private domain. We are South African citizens under South African law, but we're also individual South Africans. For instance, we have a police force, but the police needs human beings' eyes to see and help them see. We have a judicial system, but they rely on witnesses to come forward and to testify. Right is right and wrong is wrong, and we should not mix those two up. We should resist evil, but inside the parameters that God has placed for them. We should hunger and thirst for righteousness, but in a personal relationship, we should not resist the one who is evil. Now, that's a real tension. That's a real difficulty. I think we get it right in the public domain. Um, at least I think so. Someone, Paulani, must help me here. We pay the judges' salaries. You know, we're happy to pay them salaries. We're happy to pay for the police. We're happy for justice to be seen, to be done. We, 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 we encourage our constitution to be followed. We encourage witnesses to come forward, um, to report crimes. I think we really reasonably good at that. I but I think Jesus puts his finger on where we fall, fall very far short, and that's in this personal relationship. And I think the reason we fall, fall so short in this personal relationship is because the injustice happened to me. It's not out there. It's happened to me. And I want to take matters into my own hands or want to see justice done on my terms. And so I think the one key thing is, Lord, help me. Lord, help me find my peace in your boundaries that you've placed. Now, that's the first answer. Justice is in God's hands, it's in the hands of God's appointed men, men and women, and it should be seen to be done. Not perfect, the side of heaven. We know it's not perfect, but one day it will be perfect. On that day when the Lord returns, perfect justice will prevail. And so we find our rest there. Now, can I say that's the first answer, and that's the one that, that shocked me the most. The one that shocked me the most is the next one. When I read those four illustrations, do you know where I put myself? I'm the one who's slapped. I was the one who's been stolen from. I'm the one who's been forced. I'm the one forced to go the extra mile. Do you know what I realized? I'm actually the evil one. And Jesus was the one who slapped for me, persecuted for me. Have a look. Have a read with me. You don't have to turn your Bibles. Just to the last day of Jesus' life on earth before he's crucified. Matthew 26. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spat on his face and struck him. They slapped him. But Jesus remained silent. He didn't turn his face away. He didn't seek justice. He didn't demand justice. He remained silent. Then the soldiers forced him to carry his cross. 
Remember, to the point where he couldn't carry it anymore. And so they asked some other guy to Simon to carry it. Jesus went all the way, as far as he possibly could, for us, for you, for me. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments amongst them, and they cast lost for him. So there's Jesus, bruised, beaten, naked on the cross, no tunic, no cloak, forced all the way to the cross, willingly going there for you and for me. And then he spoke those wonderful words. He said, it is finished. It's done it all. He's done it all for you and for me. So how far did he go? How much was he willing to pay? Everything. For you and for me. Now from the outside, you look at Jesus there on the cross, and it looks like mankind walked all over him. But the Bible tells us he was walked all over for you and for me, the ones who are evil. From the outside, it looks like weakness and foolishness. 1 Corinthians again tells us that the Jews looked at Jesus on the cross and said, You fool! And the Gentiles looked at Jesus and said, That is just pure weakness. A king on the cross dead. But the Bible tells us that's the power of God to save you and me, to love you and me. From the outside, Jesus looked like a pure doormat, but he was no doormat at all. He was a strong man, the strongest man, who turned his face back to those who persecuted him. He went all the way at great personal cost, costing him everything. And you know he does it again and again and again. Every time we sin, he offers us forgiveness. He offers us forgiveness again and again and again. That's no doormat. That is our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, loving us. No revenge, silent, leaving judgment in the Father's hands for that day when it will happen. I hope that double-edged sword of of the double-edged sword, God's double-edged sword, really cuts to our hearts this morning. That is the love that God showed you and me. That is the kind of love that changes us so that we can love those who deliberately want to hurt us, those who are deliberately evil towards us. That is the kind of love, amazing love, amazing grace. So there's the first one. Jesus looks at our actions and he says, what does your actions say about your heart? The next one, the next little section that was read for us, Jesus turns to our words. And not just any words. He turns to the words we speak to our Heavenly Father in prayer. What does your prayer reveal about your heart? Matthew 6, verse 43 You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who are persecuting you. Pray for those who are persecuting you. What do we pray for? What do you pray for? Do you ever pray for the one who is deliberately out there hurting you? Are we like the world who only loves those who love us and pray for those who pray for us? Verse 46 and 47 of our reading today asks the simple question. 
And it says, doesn't even the tax collectors and the Gentiles do the same thing? Doesn't the world do the same? The question is, what more are you doing? That's the question. How are you different from the world? Does your prayers reveal a heart that's like the world or that's different from the world? Because that difference reveals who you belong to. That's what that verse is. Are you like your Father in heaven? Do you reveal in your prayers his characteristics? Now, Luke's gospel also has a sermon on the mount, also quotes that little bit where the Father sends rain on the just and the unjust. But then he adds a little verse there explaining what the Father's character is. And he says the Father does this because, and that's Luke 6.35, he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil one, evil person. The Father is kind to the one who doesn't want it and the evil person. Are my prayers like that? I must be honest. I have to hang my head in shame and say no. My prayers are not like that. Sometimes, maybe. But that's exactly how we were loved. That's exactly the words God's one only begotten Son spoke for us. Again, and the cross. This is what Jesus said. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. One criminal on his right and another on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Then they cast lots and divided his garments. Bruised, naked, beaten, with nothing left to give but prayer. And what does he pray for? Father, forgive them. Jesus prays for our good, for the forgiveness of our sins as he hangs on the cross. His words and his actions match. And so the application is, what about you and me? Where is my words and where does my actions land? What does it reveal about my heart? Are they any different from the world? that we live in, or they're exactly the same as the world. You see, God's bar is, verse 48 says, perfection. Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I want you to hear this. These words are lovely and profound words, but they cannot just stay up here in your mind. God's word, God's double-edged sword, wants to cut to our hearts. Because it's from our hearts that we act. Do not let those words just stick up here. Nice to hear. Profound words. Let it cut your heart. And that is my prayer. Lord, cut our hearts. Because it's from our hearts that we are changed. It's from our hearts that we can love the one who's evil. From our hearts is where we can pray for those who persecute us. Who deliberately go out to hurt us. It's from our hearts changed hearts that we can love like that. And the question is, do I? And the answer is no. By myself, I can't. But that's why Jesus says you're not alone. You're not walking this road by yourself. 
This is the beautiful answer. The king has come and has rescued us and brought us into his kingdom. And in this kingdom, he's redeemed us into this kingdom. He's given us one another. He's brought us together. So we are redeemed into a family. And in this family, we can serve one another. We can love one another. We can encourage one another to go out there into the world, to go out into this world and love those who hurt us, who deliberately hurt us. Jesus says, you are not alone. I am with you. My spirit is working you. You've got my word. And I brought you into this community. So this little booklet is not just a fancy thing that we printed. It's a real important thing. What is the next step you are taking growing into this family? Serving this family? Because that's the place where God has placed us. That's the means he's given us. The the soil he's given us where we can really work this out. Really loving those who doesn't love us. In Christ, we can truly take this next step where we can love those who are evil and are persecuting us. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Father, for this perfect love in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that this love changed the world. It changed us. It changed us so much that we can actually love the ones who are evil. Because that's who we were. We were your enemy. And you still loved us. Thank you that we can today ask you to help us. As your word is opened, Lord, let your double-edged sword cut us to the heart. Let it expose my sin. Save me from myself, Father, we pray. Thank you that you've done that by redeeming us, by bringing us into this family where we can walk together encouraging one another to take that very next step of loving you and loving our neighbor. And I pray this in your name. Amen.